0: This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about marketing campaigns and specifically how they can be a really powerful vehicle for stimulating your business growth. Now we all get busy in the day-to-day of our businesses and sometimes despite our best efforts, we can actually set and forget our marketing. Or maybe we get stuck in our strategies and ignore what might be going on around us that could be good opportunities for business growth. Embarking on the development and execution of a marketing campaign forces us to relook at and reevaluate existing consumer relationships as well as actively engage new people we might want to invite to the party.
1: Yes, and as we often like to do, let's stop for a minute here and define marketing campaign. A marketing campaign is a period of time when all of your marketing or communication channels are united to promote a single message. And the message is new, novel, timely, and relevant, connecting your brand or business with your community
0: or the culture at large. Yeah, so for example, we just finished with the 2020 Tokyo Olympics where many companies created marketing campaigns around the Olympics. So unfortunately, there was no thank you mom campaign <laughs> from P&G this year, which was like broke my heart. Mine um too. I know. <laughs> but um, one of note was Microsoft, and their message was focused on connecting people to Tokyo in the game since they couldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And you saw this in their TV advertising. You saw this in Olympic integration as they connected athletes to families. So this is an example of something on a large scale, but marketing campaigns can be executed at any scale. And we're going to talk about that. Right. So let's jump into how to create a marketing campaign that will stimulate your business growth. First point, you need to identify your consumer target and insight. I'm sure this does not come as a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) And really, when you're talking about a marketing campaign, you need to determine whether or not you need more of the same of your consumer target or you need a different target. All right. Now, You need to still stay rooted in your brand story, but this is your opportunity to really kind of stretch beyond your core consumer and maybe even go to the fringes. But if you go to the fringes and you start stretching, make sure you're not alienating your existing consumer base. You don't want to get a leaky bucket and you don't want to kind of flip (laughs) your consumers here. That's not the intent of a marketing campaign. All right. And you want to identify your consumer by both demographics and psychographics. We talk about this a lot. You really want to resist these very generic classifications of age, gender, and income. I mean, those are important, and you need to identify those, but it's not the only way you identify your consumer. You also need to identify by the psychographics, the characteristics, the passion points, the interests, the behaviors, the life stages. Be choiceful and intentional because this is really going to help you identify a very strong consumer insight that you're going to be able to uh, build your marketing campaign around. So then once you have really understand your consumer, you want to identify your consumer insight. And there's really two parts to this, okay? Okay. There's a tension or opportunity, and this is what is going to be the way in to your consumer. And it can be defined as something that's of angst or something that they're like really feeling angst around, or it could be something that they were saying, well, you know, if only what if, or this could be a really interesting way to play, right? So it could be either or. So that's part of your insight. Then you also have to figure out what the context is going to be. And this is what makes a marketing campaign unique because they're always set in something that's like culturally going on or a community-based moment in time. So something's going on that makes that moment very interesting for your consumer. And the opportunity is to connect the two together. And when you do this, you create relevancy. All right, this relevancy ultimately creates an emotional connection, and this emotional connection becomes the impact that you really hope to generate. So let me break this down into a couple of examples, and this, I think, will make a whole lot more sense. All right, so first, I mentioned a Thank You Mom campaign. That was one that I did when I was in uh, P&G, so let me talk about that one. So the insight there is every athlete has a mom. It's just a very simple insight, but that's the one that we based the "Thank You, Mom" campaign around. Now it's more opportunistic. There's not really a lot of angst there, right? But it's very opportunistic. We set that in the actual culture happenings of the Olympic Games, right? When we combine those two together, and we're able to present this marketing campaign, we create this air of appreciation. That's the relevancy. That's the impact that we hope to generate. All right. Now, the consumer we were going after was. A lot more of the same. I mean, we have moms and they're the primary shoppers, and that's the big target the P&G goes after. But we're hoping that in the context of delivering this message in this cultural opportunity, these moms are hearing us a little bit differently, and maybe we can attract them to more of our brands more often. And then actually, Thank You Mom became an anthem that which we played for every games except for Tokyo (laughs) Um, since Vancouver 2.10. Okay, so um, that is one example. Well, and I just want to pause right there for a minute, um, because
1: one of the things about this Thank You Mom campaign that I think was so important is that while moms are a primary target for Procter & Gamble, they're not necessarily highlighted in the Olympic Games. And so while Mm -hmm. you heard Anne say that it was more of the same consumer, generally speaking, they were addressed... And also really praised, quite frankly, for being the mothers to Olympic athletes, because that should come as high praise, right? If you raise a child that becomes an Olympic athlete, that does put you in a certain spotlight where you should receive that recognition. So it was an opportunity for Procter & Gamble to connect on a deeper level with those existing consumers.
0: Absolutely. And then a way for them to introduce the products that would facilitate the lives of these these moms in their efforts of making their their kids these athletes mm-hmm. and it's not just about athletes and the olympics it's like any mom right. with any kid so right. you can extrapolate that to being something broader yes. that's just used as a way to celebrate moms in that specific moment in time yes Another example, and this one um, came from us from uh, our our friend Sam Bear, who was on our podcast several months ago. But she um, works for the Carolina Panthers and Charlotte FC, and she mentioned to us um, Morris Jenkins, who is a big HVAC company in Charlotte, and uh, this, <laughs> they become a little bit of a celebrity there for their way that they do their marketing campaigns, and. Their marketing campaign is called Gently, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But let me set this up in in the framework so you can kind of understand how this works on a smaller scale. So here the tension is that people ignore generally the care of their AC units, right? Right. So when the seasons come, they'll turn it on and it, oh, they hope it fires up and they hope there's nothing wrong. Um, but sometimes that doesn't go so well. So then there's this angst and this tension of like, oh, it's hot out and I want to use my AC unit and it's not working. The cultural moment or the community moment is a change of seasons, right? So that's what's kind of going on in the environment that causes this angst to really, really percolate, right? So what Morris Jenkins does is like he, they can take that insight and they took that time of year and put it together into a marketing campaign. Like I said, it's called Gently. And what they're able to evoke is this relevancy element and then this emotional impact of dependability and care, that they want you to care for their AC units. They're there to help you take care of your AC unit, So it's reliable, it's dependable, and it's going to fire up when you want it. Now their whole advertising campaign and I really urge you guys to go Google this because it's actually quite quite well done and, and, and very funny. It took on a whole life of its own. I mean their commercial has a million views on YouTube. Okay, <laughs> you guys. So this is um something that they've done very, very well. But it's very, actually, very polarizing. We're going to get to that a little bit later in in one of our in-the-trenches questions. But it's definitely become part of their brand story and identity, and it creates a significant differentiating factor. But again, it's about getting to more of that consumer, more of the same consumer. But that consumer happens to be somebody who's very conscientious about their house, probably also very conscientious about spending money and investing money in things that. You know, or kind of like the the must have, not necessarily the wants. You know, so um, again, an opportunity to appeal to them in a slightly different way, in in order to get their attention, but going after more of the same consumer. Yes, and I just want to
1: emphasize the point. You know, Anne just talked about brand as part of this too. So we've broken this down really specifically into consumer insight and then plus that tension or opportunity. But we hope it goes without saying after listening to us <laughs> for so long that it has to be relevant to your brand. You can't just pick something out of left field that has nothing to do with either what you do, what you provide, what you stand for, all those things that we talk about as it relates to brand. That's really always a foundational element and we've talked about that a lot in previous episodes. So I'm not gonna belabor the point, but just want to make sure that everyone heard that that you know it's become part of their brand story and identity, but that's because it was built from the foundation of
0: their brand to begin with. Yep. Very good point. All right. Our next element of creating a marketing campaign to simulate business growth is develop your slogan and call to action. Turn this one over to April.
1: Yes. So your slogan is that common thread that unites your campaign overall. And this is one of those things that I just mentioned, actually set myself up quite nicely, that the brand (laughs) is the thing that exists and lives and is the foundation for everything you do over time. Your slogan is typically a temporary rallying cry. However, with that said, there can be instances where it becomes ubiquitous with your brand and even your tagline. So... Mm -hmm. Nike's Just Do It is an example of that. It started out as a campaign campaign element, but it went so well and it struck a chord that hadn't been hit before that it became their tagline that they still use today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Other slogans, uh, we've talked about Athleta before and the power of She. Um, That one is all around, you know, promoting female athleticism and giving them the materials that they need as women in order to be the best within what Ever, career sport, et cetera, they're doing. Um, Morris Jenkins, we just said, is gently. So we'll talk about that again later, as Anne said. And then one of the clients we actually worked on is uh, Phi Sigma Rho, which is an engineering sorority. And their slogan for recruitment is re-engineering sorority life. So these really become the drumbeat or the theme or the underlying message that inspires all the creative and execution. And a lot of times, too, now in this digital world that we are in, it becomes the hashtag of your campaign. Then, along with the slogan, we can't forget that call to action. This is another thing you hear us talk about all the time. But if you don't ask people to do something, they likely will not do anything because they won't know what to do. So let the customers or clients, whoever's receiving the message, that target audience, know what you want them to do. Sometimes you might combine this with a promo. So Morris Jenkins asks you to schedule your spring tune-up as part of theirs. And in that case, they could have included a promo to encourage you if you call immediately, let's say you get 10% off if you schedule by the end of March. So we've talked before about offering a promo and having it be time bound that checks the box on both of those. But you also may just be encouraging things like shares or comments or user-generated content on social media to really continue the conversation. I mean, Anne talked about that one million views on the Morris Jenkins video. I mean, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about where things go viral and the community really gets involved and gets excited and really wants to participate. In any case, whatever it is, it needs to tie back to the business objective for running the campaign. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. This was just really meant to emphasize that you need both a slogan and then a call to action coming out of your marketing campaign.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really important as you're thinking about your slogan, because we get a ton of questions here, that you you, you maintain simplicity in the message. So sometimes you, know, you you have an urge to be like overly creative or you want to make it, really long or you want to be really clever with it. The ones that we gave you are very simple. They're very direct. And when people see them, it means something. Mm -hmm. And then it engages them to want to know more. All right. So think about your slogan from that standpoint in that it's supposed to be something very simple. It's supposed to be something very clear. It's supposed to engage uh, folks, but it doesn't necessarily need to do all the work of everything you want the campaign to be. But it should be, like we talked about in um, April mentioned, that rallying cry. Mm-hmm. So think about it in that context. Absolutely. All right. The next element of creating a marketing campaign to stimulate business growth is to develop your communication strategy. All right. So this is all about identifying the right channels, the right storytellers, and the right assets and messages that will effectively transport your campaign to your target consumer. Okay? So I'm going to break this down. So first are the channels, all right? This is how, when, in your frequency for sharing. So these could be, for example, on TV. It could be digital. It could be social. It could be events. It could be influencers. That's the how. That's how you're going to get that message there. But then you also have to figure out when is the right time to engage your consumer? When are they going to be the most receptive? So for example, you might decide on social that, Friday is the best day in order to reach mm-hmm. your your consumer with this message. So you set up in your in your conversation calendar to have a post on this message on Fridays, okay? And then you also need to figure out how many times do you need to hit them? Do you need to hit them like? every Friday? Do you need to hit them every other Friday? Think about your frequency of of what makes sense in order to make sure that you surround your consumer with your message in order for them to actually be able to internalize it in the timeframe for which you have your marketing campaign set up. Next are your storytellers. This is who will tell the story, right? This could be the brand. It could be a spokesperson. It could be talent. It could be influencers. It can be ambassadors. And my big point here is that you need to resist the urge that it's always the brand, right? I mean, this is like one of the biggest mistakes that we see people make is that they don't really think about the fact that, hey, what voice is going to be the most authentic voice to translate this message? Mm -hmm. We know influencers work really well. Talent works really well. The reason why, and if, and only if you actually choose the right one, is because They have already a built-in audience that hopefully reflects your target audience, if you've selected them well, that they can authentically talk to. Use them. That Mm -hmm. is an incredible way of being able to transmit your story to your consumers, especially if you don't really have the authentic voice to get to them.
1: Okay. Yeah, and I think that's really important from the brand perspective there too, because I think we had this moment in time where, when things shifted to digital, right? Brands were used to putting their message out there and kind of pushing, pushing it. It's oh yeah, and pushing them the products it and pushing what social they were selling, to advertising and
0: channels. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And so I think that left people with a bad taste in their mouth, and unfortunately, I think there are a lot of brands that haven't learned from that mistake, and so therefore, I think it's actually really hard for the brand to be able to communicate. In a way, consistently without the help of other things like spokespeople and influencers and ambassadors to get that message out and have people really latch onto it, believe in it, and connect with it emotionally.
0: Yeah, because it's relational, right? Exactly. This is, it's all about being relational, and that's really super important with marketing campaigns. The third part is your assets, okay? These are the materials you create. This could be signage, ads, social posts, handouts, content. Whatever that thing is that is going to translate your message and your slogan and your call to action to your consumer, right? And it's really important to think about what is the best way to do this. Again, people tend to default. Well, I have to have social, right? So I'm going to definitely create a social post. I'm going to definitely push that out. You have to think, is that the right way to reach my consumer? Is that going to be able to create that connection, that relational connection I want? Because ultimately, keep in mind, we want to create those emotional connections. The whole point of a marketing campaign is to have that relevancy in order to create that emotional connection. When you do that well and that you get that trifecta rate, you create what we call brand love vehicles, all right? And this is when you're actually able to create that love connection that's able to help you or your business grow. So think about that and think about the fact that your consumer generally needs to see something five or six times, right, especially if you're brand new to them mm-hmm. before they're probably going to engage with you. So this is not like, hey, I have a you know one day, two day campaign. Hmm, did that work or not? I mean, this is going to take some effort in order to be able to make sure everything is firing on all cylinders at the same time.
1: Yes. And I would say, too, that make sure that you never are doing anything or making a decision to the point of being in the right place because your competition's doing it. Yeah. Don't become a me too strategy. Don't jump in there just because they're there. You very well could belong on that same um, channel as them or, you know compete with a different message on that channel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But definitely don't do it just because you get nervous because they're there and you're not.
0: Yeah. I mean, a default marketing strategy is not a marketing strategy. <laughs> Fair. Um, and a default marketing campaign is not a marketing campaign, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Better said. Yeah. Well, no. I think I'm just reinforcing <laughs> their good point you making. So yeah, that is, you definitely need to do that. And you definitely need to be carving your own uh, your own superhighway, as we call them, to your consumer. Um, because if you try to follow everybody else, you're just going to get into traffic jam, and I guarantee you, you'll be the one who loses. So, very good point. All right. So, our fourth element for creating a marketing campaign to simulate business growth is to declare your success criteria. Another one of our favorite topics. April? Yes.
1: And we have an entire episode called The Four Steps to Defining the Right KPIs or Key Performance Indicators. So, Go listen to that if you have not, which is what I would say um, anytime we talk about KPIs. But again, just a quick refresher here that it should be specific to the ultimate business goal for running the campaign. And we say this all the time, needs to be quantifiable, measurable, and time bound. And I talked about this with the previous example from Morris Jenkins, right? That it was measurable and time bound based on the offer that they were putting out there at that point in time. Now, sometimes it's not super easy to measure directly. So you have to do some analysis and sometimes layer some things together to determine what KPIs will give you confidence that your campaign is performing in a way that will move you toward those business goals and Mm -hmm. achieving those goals. So, for example, just because you measure social engagement – it doesn't mean anything unless you can see a tie to how that engagement moves your business. And this is why marketing goals and success criteria specifically are really difficult because none of this stuff is done in isolation, especially not anymore. Exactly. So what you want to be looking for is, okay, if from a social engagement standpoint, we got 50 new fans and wait, we got two new business opportunities in the same point in time, You might be able to draw those things together. But if you get 5,000 new fans and nothing happens at all to your business, then you have to kind of think, okay, we got engagement, but that didn't go any further toward our business goals, just as an example. And then also don't set arbitrary or vague criteria just because you're scared of failing. Mm -hmm. We have seen this happen many times with clients where it's kind of, there's a lot of hedging going on. It's like, well, we want to grow our community on Facebook. Okay. Mm -hmm. By how much? Within what time? Well, we don't have a lot of fans. So we just need more fans. A lot in a little bit of time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so this isn't something where it's a perfect science and we can know, like, if we turn this on and we do this, it's going to result in this, right? And that's what people really need to understand. But the other side of that coin is that if you don't, try and you don't put the goals out there, you'll never get any better at projecting and then all the other things that go with the business, knowing what to invest, knowing where to invest, knowing who to talk to, all those things we've been talking about on this episode. So you have to put stakes in the ground and give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, then you have to learn from that. So that's the other part of this that we always talk about is testing and learning directly related to success criteria. Just because you don't hit it the first time doesn't mean it's a failure. Use that learning to set better KPIs the
0: next time. All right. I need my soapbox. Oh, jeez, <laughs> Here we go. I I won't reiterate a lot of what April said, but I can't let this go without like putting in a couple of additional points because I think it's this is so critically important. Do not be lazy here mm-hmm. um, because this is the biggest thing that we hear our, our clients say is like, well, oh, I did this marketing campaign and it didn't do anything. I'm like, well, how did you know? Well, and nobody can answer the question, right? Mm-hmm. And they can't answer the question definitively because they weren't actually taking a look at the KPIs or setting measurable KPIs that they can then assess success from. And so you just, like I said, you can't be lazy here, or you're never gonna know whether or not you actually made your goals. If you don't make your goals, that's fine. Your response should be, hmm, interesting. Now what? Mm-hmm. You know? And then you go back and you reassess, and and then you start like reevaluating. The last thing you want to do is get scared that you're not meeting your goals, which is what a lot of people do. And then they tend to do like stupid things or knee jerk things in order to be able to try to make up for it. Like they buy fan lists. They I mean, mm-hmm. I, you name it Cut or corners. they over invest. Yeah. And so that's not the objective either. You need to process through the these are learning experiences and you invest as much as you feel like you can in order to be able to create this because marketing campaigns can be developed at any budget. Now, generally, you need some money, enough money, depending on where you're going to play in order to break through the noise. And there is minimum threshold. So I'm not just saying you can spend $100 and be successful on social. That's not what I'm saying. But you can do it without spending millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So just hear me in saying, do not be lazy here. Um, we will be very upset with you.
1: And as part of that laziness, not to just tack right onto the soapbox, but make sure when you set a goal that you actually have the systems in place to be able to measure. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's I've important. seen clients yeah. before where, you know, they put the same call to action and the same code on every single piece of material from a marketing standpoint. And then it's like either it doesn't work at all and then they've done all these channels or it works and then they can't they figure out
0: which one. how. Yeah.
1: So make sure that the back end matches whatever you're doing on the
0: front end so you can be very clear when you are measuring. I agree. All right. I'll get off my soapbox now for right now. <laughs> okay. So just to summarize um, a bit here on how to create a marketing campaign that will stimulate your business, right? You're going to identify your consumer target and insight you will base your campaign around. Are you going after more of the same or a new consumer? Then you have to figure out what is the inside opportunity Match with the cultural community connection that's gonna lead to that emotional impact, okay? That's your relevancy piece. Next, you need to develop your slogan and call to action. Your slogan is a theme that inspires all of your creative and becomes your rallying cry. Your call to action tells your consumers what you want them to go do. Next, you develop your communication strategy. That's your channels, your storytellers, and your assets. Finally, you declare your success criteria. Remember, it needs to be quantifiable, measurable, Time bound and tie back to your business goals.
1: Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on.
0: All right. Our next segment is the in the trenches segment where we give real world examples specific to industries and situations, but these all have broad application. So all of you should be able to internalize these and put these into action for your own business. All right. First one, I am getting a lot of haters. Am I doing something wrong? I'm going to take this one because I (laughs) I went through this one a lot. All right. And actually, I'm going to say it's actually the opposite. If you have done everything right, you actually should expect some haters. And the reason why is because it's very important that your campaign has a point of view. I can tell you, I got a tremendous amount of haters on the Thank You Mom campaign. I, we love dads. We were not dissing dads, but we got a lot of hate that it seemed like we were. And they were like, where's the dad's campaign, you know? And actually, Gillette did do something with dads yep. um, later. So that was great. But um, that wasn't the point, right? So um, and I mentioned Morris Jenkins before, too. So in creating their, their Gently campaign, it was a very polarizing TV spy. To the point where they got so many haters that they actually made another video of all the Twitter haters that they got. <laughs> and that one almost has as much views as the commercial. <laughs> and they're, they're hysterical because they have their technicians actually reading them. It, I, mean, I tell you guys, you guys got to go see this. So there's opportunities to continue to build content despite, you know, the haters. But you know, you're know you going to have some polarization within your campaign. That is expected and it should because if you try to be everything to everybody, that is not going to work for your campaign. You're, you're going to just kind of fall below the noise and nothing's going to rise above. Now, some of your general marketing may be a little bit more broad reach, a little bit more neutral, and that's fine, but not in your marketing campaign, right? But you have to realize that not everybody is going to like it and you need to be prepared for that. And that's why, back on Soapbox, it is so important to actually define your KPIs, because your KPIs are going to give you that indication about how bad these haters really are, right? So you don't make these knee-jerk reactions. So look at your KPIs, monitor your KPIs. If you do see that your campaign is kind of flipping your business a little bit, where you do have the leaky bucket, or you're getting so much hate that it's becoming overwhelming, fine stop it go back reevaluate see where you may be you know missing the mark a little bit and then you know reevaluate and then put something else out there but don't get all worried if you're going to get some haters cuz you're going to get them and likely the haters are not going to be your target anyway yeah, That's you need to lose a lot some of, of those. Yeah, you're gonna have to lose some of those in order to get a better consumer base. Anyway, so mm-hmm. your brand is gonna evolve a little bit as a result. Anyway, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Well, and I also think you know,
1: Anne and I recently listened to the same episode of How I Built This with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, and he says on that episode that he feels sorry for the people that are haters, just to be pure haters that spend time trolling sites and things just to make these bad comments. So I think when you reach a Mm -hmm. certain tier or a certain status like he has, like Procter and Gamble has, you know, there are people that are out to get you and that's just something that they somehow get fulfillment out of too. So I think you have to realize and develop a, a thick skin because when you can hide behind a computer and type out your responses, you tend to be a whole lot meaner, which is my soapbox, than you normally would be.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. But even Morris Jenkins, I mean, he they're an example of it happens to the small guys too. So, yeah, you that's, know, yep, totally. I fair. mean, you know, be ready for it and uh, and have some proactive responses, you know, available for that, so it doesn't feel like a big shock when somebody's coming in and like yeah. really like just hating on you. I mean, I, that could feel really bad. I get it. We we've been there.
1: Well, and I think too sometimes brands go the other way and they experience paralysis. And then they get way too safe and it feels inauthentic for the brand. And so then there's this like vetting that happens where it's like, could anything go wrong with this campaign? And I think the message here is that something will always Always go go wrong. (laughs) So you have to be brave (laughs) enough to put it out there and expect this. Coming behind it versus trying to prevent every single thing that could possibly ever happen because you're going to do much more harm to your brand than good. And you might never put anything out there if
0: that's how you're vetting. Yeah, I totally agree.
1: April, when is the best time to run a marketing campaign? All right. So remember that marketing campaigns happen during a defined period of time. So this could be a few days. It could be months. This is why you need to monitor your KPIs to see when the campaign is wearing out, which means mm-hmm. when you're getting less attention, engagement, you know, less people are coming through the pipeline, that sort of thing, when your results are no longer worth the investment that you're making against the campaign. So that's kind of the general campaign definition statement about what a campaign is is and how it lives. But many campaigns are centered around some different things, but all culturally relevant. And they could be based on times of year, seasons, et cetera. So whether it's an event like the NFL season or back to school time which we're right in that about right now or seasonality like spring cleaning or gifting for christmas time or a moment that's important to your business because you have defined that this is when it recurs so like the united way has their fundraising campaign in the fall every year the american heart association has their ball in the spring every year mm-hmm. you know so you have all those things that you learn to expect that they are coming and then your campaigns centers around promoting and fundraising and getting people to the events or the channels or whatever that looks like. But remember, it's important to pick a moment in time that you can authentically connect with. So I talked a lot before about making sure your brand is relevant for whatever you're doing. You have to create and connect with the opportunity or tension that makes an emotional connection. And that is very grounded in the authenticity of your brand. And many of these cultural moments and times are already busy and create a lot of flurry. And so it's really easy to get lost in the mix of that. So even more important that if you're going to do, like, for example, back to school is very top of mind for me right now. I can't tell you how many brand promotions I'm seeing. And I could probably barely list them right now because I feel Mm -hmm. so inundated with all the messaging coming from them. So just make sure that whatever you choose to do, whether it's owning your own period of time or participating in these moments of time that happen, that you're being authentically you and creating a message that people can easily and quickly connect with.
0: Yeah. And you also want to make sure that you taking a look at your own business calendar and making sure you're slotting in in, in a time and place that makes sense for your business Um, you want to make, like I said, you need to make sure all the channels are activated against this. So if you can't devote the full power of your business behind it, your marketing campaign isn't gonna have the fuel it needs to really break through and and have the results that you desire. So you really need to think about that in the context of everything else that's going on with your business, whether it's like a big uh, product launch Mm -hmm. or if it's a big client push or whatever that is. And sometimes um, some of these things can be combined together, which we're gonna talk about in a second, but really your marketing campaign should be a moment in time that you are really developing marketing credibility and reputation behind. Yeah, make sure it's not competing with other initiatives at the
1: same time either.
0: Yes, exactly. All right, our third in the trenches question, should I use this approach for product launches too? And we get this question a lot too, because it is somewhat similar when you think about how to develop a product launch campaign and a marketing campaign. All right, and you can take a very similar approach, but they're actually quite different in some of the details in the uh, actual development execution. So, for example, like when you have like a marketing campaign like Athleta's Power of She, they are continuing to um, deliver products and introduce new products, but the product isn't the star there. The product is reinforcing the actual marketing campaign, but it's not the star, If you want your product to be the star, it could get lost a little bit in the marketing campaign, or you could have too much messaging and just too much confusion, and people aren't exactly sure what they should take away. So if you want your product to be the star, you're process, like I said, is going to be somewhat similar, but you're really going to want to reconsider what that message is because your messaging is going to have to really accomplish more than what just the slogan or simple reinforcing message of the slogan is. It's going to need to talk about a little bit more about what the product is, um, what it does, and why someone would want it. And this also can mean that you need some slightly different channels because you're going to have to explain more. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little bit more um, uh, contextually developed. So it could be some some different um, channels and some d- potentially some different storytellers. So those brand love vehicles can look very different. So you need to kind of think about them a little bit differently, but the process is very similar. Now, they can come together in some very interesting ways. And this is generally when you launch a signature product. Okay. So, for any of you, um, I mean, you see it's a lot with all these brands or they do capsule collections with, with brands. This is a very common way of driving popularity. Okay. The one I talk about in my book is John Mayer and how he introduced his own fragrance in the Laundress Fabric Care franchise. Now, the product was the shiny object. That became the focus of the marketing campaign. But why it worked was because John was already a huge advocate of the brand, right? So he was already posting about the brand. And so that was already known. That was already there. You didn't have to explain why him. And so you could just bring him in, create a product, which was really a fragrance, you know, so it wasn't like it was doing anything above and beyond what uh, the laundress would have to explain, you know, a nice fragrance to uh, to the product. And then you could develop a marketing campaign around that. So that became like John Mayer and the laundress, like I said, to create a kind of a popularity play. Um, but it's it's a little bit different than if you had a specific product launch that's like a core product to your business or a new product to your business and just a straight up marketing campaign play. Yeah, and I just wanna stress that this is tough.
1: These sometimes these sometimes are the unicorns that you hope come along and in this situation this John Mayer example is a bit like that, right? Because he happened to be a fan of the brand and proactively was communicating that. And then the impetus for them to work together was for him to layer on his scent that he liked that was directly tied to, I'm sure his brand or things that he already mm-hmm. used, et cetera, et cetera, a et cetera. Manly, like wood based scent. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so there are ways to do that, but just know that they tend to be more complicated. I don't, think it's is often any more where celebrities are tying themselves to like a single product like that as much especially because of influencing and endorsing and all of that kind of stuff. So this one is super difficult and I think that's where the question comes from, right of like can the product be the topic for the campaign it certainly can but i almost feel like this is like a 301 (laughs) example i think that's fair um of you know something you see and just knowing that you can't just pull it off like we've been talking about the whole episode because you get an inkling like oh i like this person and i like this brand and we should put them together that's not the way it works (laughs) right only in
0: fragrance only in fragrance can you do that actually that's kind of (laughs) true It's like, pretty soon I'm going to have my own fragrance, I think.
1: Forthright People's going
0: to have their own fragrance. I, yeah, it's going to be. Yeah. And you love perfume, so, you know. Yeah, I do. <laughs> All right. So that's the end of trenches section. And our third and final segment is usually a real-world example of a brand who's doing this well or not well. So what we're going to do is we thought we would talk about some of our favorite campaigns, all right? And We're not actually, so favorite. Or not-so-favorite. at least favorite campaigns, too. And these could be ones that we worked on or not, um, or ones that we just appreciate um, or not in what we have seen <laughs> <laughs> over our 35-plus years. So I'll go first, just to make sure that you don't take mine.
1: Oh, jeez. All right. <laughs> We're going to pettiness
0: now. Yeah, well, you Welcome know. Welcome
1: to the podcast with Anne and April. All
0: right. <laughs> pettiness 101. <laughs> All right. So um, one of my favorite campaigns um, was the Like a Girl campaign. Um, and that was this was originated by Always um, and a P&G brand, not a P&G brand that I worked on. And actually, a lot of people might be going, "Ah, I didn't actually remember that mm-hmm. because it has become so like just in the zeitgeist now, mm-hmm. like it shows up everywhere that I think it's kind of so, you know, beyond this, the, the core place or where it started that people forget. Yes, yeah, and from that's a macro trend. Yeah, and it's yeah. and it's very interesting that they were able to develop it, and now like have lost a little bit of ownership of it. But that shouldn't like dissuade anybody from going doing. it. That's actually a huge compliment, mm-hmm. just by the way. And this is a big brand. I get it. And we're I'm I'm using big brand examples because it's easier for you guys to kind of go look at and in and, and uh, go research. But it definitely translates into what you guys can do because it uses the same model. So. Like, I, like we've said before, you have to have some sort of tension or opportunity. The tension or opportunity here was the fact that self-confidence in girls has been something that obviously the community as a, as a whole has been really concerned about, right? And not anything necessarily new, but gender equality has become a really huge platform for a lot of folks. And this is, I think, Like a Girl was actually a little bit ahead of its time um, in, in that case, right? And... The the real big desire here is to strengthen girls' confidence, especially in the context of sports. But what was happening was that the girls, in the, in the way that they play sports, there's there were stereotypes there. So this campaign was all about revealing those stereotypes. That's the tension and opportunity. In the context of gender equality, which was very culturally relevant at that time, and always culturally relevant, but specifically starting to kind of increase, in order to be able to celebrate female strength, right? And, and, and the growth of, of young girls into really strong women. So, that I think campaign was beautifully done. Um, and it, it, it had a couple different lives to it, too, but that was my favorite. So, now I'll talk about my least favorite. So, my least favorite, um, I think I'm gonna lump them all together, is all the insurance commercials.
1: Oh, break my heart! I used to work on insurance.
0: I know, I know, April. <laughs> but listen, I mean, it's it's like the the model has been totally been bastardized across all these insurance companies, and they're all starting to blend together. Okay, it's fair. Like you have to have a mascot or some kind of quirky person. They talk about the same kind of benefits you're gonna get, and then you know you're hoping that you're gonna create some sort of level of trust, right? I'm like, it's just. Not working. So between flow and this new doc, the Doctor Rick ones with with your parents, like you know, don't become <laughs> like your parents. In addition to like animals, with the guy, geico, geico and the gecko and the guy, ge- I'm like whatever. And then of course you have Jake from State Farm. I'm like, I, I don't really care anymore. I'm like, <laughs> it's it's become such a wash for me. I'm like, I I came and process through, and they have each one of those. Um, insurance companies probably has as many streams of advertising content as big brands do. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, tied and they run multiple
1: campaigns at the same time.
0: Multiple campaigns at the same time, but they don't actually develop any of them outside of TV. Yeah, and I'm like, well, what's the point here? So you have eight streams of advertising. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then it's all kind of fragmented across all the different channels. And I'm like, I, I don't know what to – um what I'm supposed to be receiving. And I don't know what I'm supposed to be believing. And I'm not exactly sure why that's compelling. Yeah. So that's the one that I don't like.
1: I, I should have caveated I worked on premium insurance. We didn't do any of those things.
0: Oh, well, thank goodness. <laughs> Nobody's going to hire us Preserve anymore. my reputation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, April, what do you like and don't like? So
1: at the risk of – being generic, and I thought really hard about this before I decided to use the, this example, but I've always really admired Coca Cola. And I'm actually not even really much of a soda drinker, but I think from a branding and marketing perspective, what they've been able to do by maintaining brand consistency for all these years and then stretching their campaigns and doing things like taking their name off the bottles and still keeping certain brand elements. I mean, there's just been a lot that I think from a brand level they've been able to do, but then that manifests in whatever campaigns they're doing. So there are two of them that I really love. I love the Share a Coke campaign. Mm. Um, When that came out, I remember people like, And to your point about good and bad feedback, being like, why would Coca-Cola take their name off the can and put random names on the can? Well, first of all, it wasn't random. It was the most popular names. I think it started in Australia in 2011. And it was like the 150 most popular names in the country. And then that was replicated here and other places. And I actually thought the beauty of it was less about finding your own name on the can, but finding someone else's name and sharing a Coke with that person with their name and the personalization on the can. And Mm -hmm. I just think there is a beauty to that. And uh, I know that they got some press of it being like gimmicky and whatever, but I'm like, no, that's the essence of Coca-Cola. Share a Coke, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. That's been the essence from the very beginning of you see some of those old ads and there's two kids sitting on a porch drinking out of the straw with a glass bottle, Coca-Cola sharing a Coke together, right? Right? And so similarly, I also love their open happiness campaign. And that one was less, I think, about the interpersonal relation, but still obviously just as much about happiness. It was called open happiness. But I thought the ads were really beautiful when you kind of like pop the top and all these beautiful illustrations would come out of the bottles. And the whole idea uh, was based on the idea that Coke actually does make people happier. So they ran a study and I think it was like 56% of people actually admit that when They open a Coke can, it's a sign of happiness for them in their day
0: and a small happiness within their day. I look forward to opening my Coke Zero for lunch every day. (laughs) So
1: there you go. And so I just think that they're, you know, they're a big brand, but they don't rest on that. They never have. They've built so much solid brand consistency that they can do things as extreme as taking their name off completely and still. Build that equity, but also maintain that authentic relationship with the people that are super committed to Coca Cola. So mm-hmm. that's my example there. Now, from a negative perspective, <laughs> I've been okay. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm
0: excited. I don't. I don't know where this is going to go. <laughs> so
1: I considered a few, but I landed on Dos Equis most interesting man. Campaign. Oh, really? Oh, and interesting. I know it's one that a lot of people really love. I just cannot get on board with it. And I get it. Like, I understand why it's clever. I understand why it's outrageous. I understand all of that. But I just, like, and I even went through, I went down a rabbit hole, honestly, and looked for, like, any saying, because there's so many of them from that campaign, that I could even, like, a little bit support, and there were none. And so I picked out some of the ones that I really hated. So (laughs) they were, like... Sharks have a week dedicated to me. The circus ran away to join me. Superman has pajamas with my face on them. Like, I just, I could not (laughs) find humor in the campaign. And I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, it's the same way I feel actually about the Old Spice campaign when they started Mm -hmm. mixing males and animals. And like, it was just not something that was within my like sense of humor. I I could appreciate it based on being in the business and understanding how they were attracting the target. I feel the same way about this Dos Equis commercial. I'm like not the target. I mean, I think I've had one Dos Equis in my life and it's because someone ordered it when I was the bartender and then it wasn't what they wanted, and so I drank it at the end of the shift. Like I, I it's just not for me, right? And so I can appreciate it on that end, but I just like And I think it comes back to the way we talk about it, right? Which is there has to be like this tension or this impetus for it. I think the more outrageous ones, I have a hard time getting there. And so then I feel like it almost feels like cheap humor, even though I know that those are mass things that people love. It's just not my taste. Hmm.
0: I think that's very interesting. I wonder. I mean, I I, 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 could tell you the the high uh, the Old Spice campaigns worked really well. I know they did. Um, and they just from a little bit of insider knowledge, uh, without going into a lot of detail, they do work really well to attract that consumer. And it was like a huge pivotal like yep. from shift the old man of the brand. Yep. Um, and I actually c- considered using that one as an example too, since I actually worked on that. But um, it yeah, but the points were all taken, right? And that, and it goes back to what we we're talking about is that. Your campaigns, your marketing campaigns, are going to be polarizing. Yeah, right. And so, not everybody is going to like them. And mm-hmm. April might have been one of those haters that said, "You know, going Dos Going, what about the mo- most interesting woman in the world? Right? No, no I, I didn't care in that for person. That. No, <laughs> but um, you know, but you know, you have those haters. But that wasn't the point. The point mm-hmm. was that they are talking to a very specific consumer target. We're trying to relate to them in a way that was going to get them to see the brand differently in order to bring them in during this period of time. So, But I think the perspective kind of hearing that is, like, real, right? Mm -hmm. And it also, like, I hope people are – you guys are all listening when you develop your marketing campaign that there is going to be, you know, those people who don't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. But you have to really consider are they your target and do you care?
1: Yeah. But then also, I mean, both of these, the Dos and you know the example of Old Spice—they're ones that I reference. So True. I mean, they're in they're in my portfolio. Brands, yeah, yeah exactly. For so
0: sure. no. in any case, a great point. Those are good examples. All right, so let's summarize a little bit on how to create marketing campaigns that are going to deliver business growth. Okay, so first, identify your consumer target and insight that you will base your campaign around. Again, are you going after more of the same or a new consumer, like we just talked about? What is the insight, opportunity, and a cultural community connection that will lead to the emotional impact that you want to deliver? Develop your slogan and call to action. Your slogan is a theme that inspires all of your creative and becomes your rallying cry. Your call to action tells your customers what you want them to do. Develop your communication strategy. This is your channel using your storytellers and your assets to create those brand love vehicles. And finally, declare your success criteria, quantifiable, measurable, time-bound, And tied back to your business goals or else. (laughs) And with that, we'll tell you to go exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing
1: smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover which helps us give real world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now go show off your marketing smarts.